It's time for the Hockey Minute, your source for all your hockey news and some opinion. Strap in for the fastest news in the NHL. This episode is proudly brought to you by... Absolutely nobody. We don't have any sponsors. Now here's your hosts, Brandon and Ryan. Here we are. Welcome back to another edition of the Hockey Minute. I am your host, Brandon, with me, as always, my co-host, Ryan. And today we've got the boys from the Iceberg Podcast here to break down all things penguins. But first, please, rate and subscribe on Apple. It really helps us grow the show. All right, before we get into our interview with Nick and Nick, let's check in with my co-host, the man with the swollen calves but a broken heart. Ryan, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm, I'm over the, the Capitals' first-round loss. I mean, it was embarrassing, and it's probably Brayden Holpe's last game as a Capital, but... I, uh, I slept it off, and uh, it's time to, you know, it's a new day. We have a great interview lined up, though, man. I mean, who do we got on today? Yeah, like I mentioned, we've got uh, Nick Horwat and Nick Berlansky on from the Iceberg Podcast to break down the Penguins uh, post-mortem. Should be a lot of fun. So uh, Horwat and Berlansky, as we'll call you, thanks for doing this, guys. Welcome to the show. No problem. Thank you for having us. And we immediately talk over each other. This is going well. Anyway. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, no, it's good. It's the way it it's happens good. with Don't this whole video call thing we have to do, but... Um, to get the voices correct quickly, I'm Nick Horwood, and the other one is Nick Berlansky. Um, if he wants to say hi, because I talked right over him. <laughs> hey, yo. Hey, no worries. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll kick it off, guys. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you guys, I'll ask Horwat first, uh, cause I can pronounce your name easier. Yeah. Uh, what were your thoughts on that play in round? Was Carey Price the biggest difference maker, or were the pens just playing sloppy? It, it was a little bit of both. I think I ran it down on, on the episode of one of our podcasts that, Game one, Carey Price stole, without a doubt. Um, it was a hard-fought game by both teams, but Carey Price kind of was the reason that Montreal was able to take it. Game two, the Penguins won and looked like the better team doing it. Game three, we shot ourselves in the foot, and there was just no coming back for game four. So it was a little bit of you know, Carey Price being a god and the Penguins just being an abysmal-looking team um, during those five, four games. So do you, do you guys think that the the window is closed? I mean, I, I guess we'll start with uh, Berlansky on this one, but I mean, it's it's hard to count out the the Penguins, obviously, with the team like with Crosby and, and Malkin on there. But uh, it, it, I mean, from the outset, it kind of seems like it's closing anyway. Yeah, you said that perfectly. You look at a team that has Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, and the window is not closed until those two guys say it's closed. And at this point, really, all you need to do is make a couple adjustments here, a couple adjustments there, and you're not too far off from the team that you had in 2016 when you started those back-to-back runs. So it's really a matter and a factor of whether or not those two guys can just keep their play at a consistent level because you look at what Evgeny Malkin did this year, 75 points in I think it was 60-some games, and then Crosby dealing with the core muscle injury. It's If these guys can stay healthy and you can surround them with the correct pieces, which I don't think they necessarily did going into this playoffs, if you can start to surround them with the correct pieces, I think the window is still open for at least – two possibly three more years yeah and i'd have to agree with that too the window is such an odd concept that you know some people question if it's a real thing because <laughs> you know when it at one point the capitals window was quote-unquote closed and then they won the stanley cup so the idea of a window is kind of hit or miss but when it comes to the penguins you know ability to win a cup like you know Crosby and malkin you never count those guys out, but it is more than just those two on this team, and that's that was kind of our downfall going into these playoffs too. So, um, as for our window, I'd say, you know, it's open by the time for the time that we have these guys still on the team, but um, to extend it, we have to build underneath them now, and that's what we're getting in the process of this offseason. 
Yeah, I mean, the Capitals, I'm, I'm convinced, was actually the year they won a fluke because, I mean, you look at their track record, it was second-round losses for six years, and then now they've been bouncing the first round both years. So 2018 was a fluke, if anything. Uh, thank God it happened, though, finally. Um, right. But uh, regarding the Penguins, what's the goaltending situation like, guys? Because, I mean, all we hear up here in Canada is that Matt Murray is done. <laughs> uh, he is an RFA. So, I mean, it, would he be worth it to keep, or is he potentially going to be dangled in some sort of trade bait uh, even as an RFA it's very interesting simply because it's basically the same situation that you had with Murray and Flurry, but at the same time it's different because now both of these guys are RFAs which is Jari and Murray and you have to look and say well which one of these guys do we want to try to build with right now and Horwat mentioned it on our latest episode very well he sees Tristan Jari as the goaltender of now, and I'll let him go into that a little bit, but it's not that Matt Murray had a bad series, because he didn't. He played fairly well against the Montreal Canadiens. He just had a bad luck on a couple goals, and I think the big thing with him is it's always been a head game. But if you look back at his potential, he won those two cups in 16 and 17. So it seems like he has a lot left in the tank, but might not necessarily be with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He is an RFA, Jari is an RFA, but I feel like if you're looking at a trade, I feel like it's going to end up being Matt Murray in this offseason. And, you know, Brilliant, you mentioned how I look at Jari as the goalie of now because um, whenever Murray was coming up our system, he was looking like to be, like, looking like he was going to be one of the hottest goalies in the league. Yeah. You know, through the minors, he was rocking a very well, a very good, you know, um, save percentage and goals against average with, you know, gets to the NHL. Same thing kind of happens enough to he's able to you know get two cups and then then it's his own team. And we're thinking, okay, he's the future here. He's the starter. We're you know pulling up Jari and Casey DeSmith as our backups for now, and we start to see a little decline. And we just, I mean, living in Pittsburgh, you see that it's kind of a fan base that is they we didn't want to let go of Flurry. We you know always harped on Murray on. You know, is he good enough to be here? Is he actually this good? I mean, we let our possible Hall of Famer leave for this guy. Like, <laughs> every little mistake, he was getting picked apart. So, you know, I always thought that Murray in Pittsburgh, it was like it was never going to be good, you know, from a fan's perspective, because everyone was going to get on him for every little mistake, and he basically had to play and live in Flurry's shadow in this town. So, and like Berlinski said, it was a head game with him. So who knows if that affected it at all. But, I mean, like I said, for now it's going to be Jari's team, at least for the near future. I'm not saying he's the goalie of the future. I'm saying as of right now, and we're looking to win now as always, he's the better goalie. And that's just the short and the long of it. Yeah, and to jump in really quickly on Matt Murray and what you said, there was a lot that happened in that two-year span since they won that last cup. I mean, he dealt with several injuries, which is hard enough for a goaltender to get back into a rhythm after sort of the sort of injuries that he was facing, groin injuries, calf injuries, stuff like that. Then he also dealt with the death of his father, which I know hit him really hard. And it just you could tell it took a while after he came back to even catch his footing after that. So I don't think that all of these factors – are still weighing on him, but I feel like over the last two years they have weighed on him, and it's kind of progressed to the point where now you see the opinion of Murray is in such a much lower standard than you would expect of a goaltender that just a couple years ago won you two Stanley Cups and has not necessarily been 
100% awful. He's had stints where he has not been a good goaltender. And of course, Tristan Jari took advantage of that this year. But it's something that he's a lot better than people give him credit for and a lot better than a lot of his numbers stand for. So it's going to be interesting in the offseason to see what happens with that. And the Penguins, of course, have Casey DeSmith in the wings as a pretty good and solid NHL backup. So whichever way they do it, I feel like they're going to be set fairly well next season at goaltender. So what, what's their their options going forward, I guess, in, in terms of the expansion draft for the goaltenders? I mean, they're, they're going to risk losing Murray or Jari if, if they keep both of them. Is it is it the only real play that they have to trade one of them and, and keep DeSmith as the backup that they expose? I feel like that's probably what's going to happen. I think so. It's going to be very unlikely that both of those goaltenders are on the Penguins roster to start next season. Jari's asking reportedly for $4 million over two years, which would be mm-hmm. kind of right in that area where Matt Murray was on his last contract. And Murray's obviously going to want a pay increase from his, I think it was 3.75 or in three to five area. He's going to want a pay increase and it's going to be hard especially with the cap staying flat to keep both of those goalies at those higher rates. It's the it's the cap staying flat and that the Penguins are reportedly not spending to the cap roof or ceiling yeah. this year. We're trying to stay under it a little bit. Weirdly enough. So there's a lot going into our offseason that's going to affect this goalie situation. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll transition into the blue line. And I, to be honest, I wrote this question a few days ago prior to uh, Rutherford's comments about Jack Johnson. Uh, so I, I know you guys talked about this uh, off air with us. Jack Johnson, he's not going anywhere, is he? Hold on, I'll let you go. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> guess not. I guess he's not. I mean, we talk to people all the time about what it might take for Jack Johnson to be dealt or for him to leave, but. At the moment, it's looking like he's not going anywhere. He, we've asked a lot of questions like, oh, how would we get rid of Johnson? How do we get him off the payroll? And I mean, even if you look at last season, we had it done. But Phil goddamn Kessel, I'm sorry <laughs> if I can't swear on this, but no, Phil goddamn Kessel, he just had to ax that trade to Minnesota. We were rid of him after one year. And now, of course, he he's still on the team. And it seems like Rutherford is going to keep him on the team. I mean... There were so many ways that we could have gotten rid of Jack Johnson during the last season. Even if you look at the beginning of the season, we had Eric Goodbranson on the team too. And if they wouldn't have been able to trade Goodbranson, it would have been Johnson. And unfortunately, somebody took Goodbranson again, stranding us with the pylon that is JJ back there. (laughs) And it just, it doesn't help your defense when you have a guy that is inept with the puck. He's inept without the puck. And unfortunately it seems like the coaches love him the general manager loves him I don't know Mario Lemieux's thoughts on him because Mario Lemieux doesn't talk about players other than Sidney Crosby so hopefully it's not the whole way around and somebody finally gets their head out of their ass and hopefully we don't have to eat the last three years of his contract because it's going to be a painful three years if that's the case yeah he's Sid's buddy too so that's tough um yeah. you guys also I, I listened to one of your recent shows you mentioned Justin Schultz as well and a couple of years ago in the the one of the cup runs he actually looked like a, a like he'd really come a long way since his days in Edmonton but uh, is his time up as well in, in Pittsburgh do you think yeah I'm general manager Jim Rutherford all but basically packed his bags for him in the in the post game breast conference <laughs> the week after because they asked of course it was actually not even prompted He said he really was just like, oh, everybody's hard on Jack Johnson. Everybody's difficult on Jack Johnson. But I think I think Jack plays better than everybody gives him credit for. And at that point, I was already laughing. (laughs) And then he said 
yeah, but I feel like Justin Schultz had a lot more to give in that series. And I was like, what? Like you're, <laughs> act, you're gonna you're gonna call out one of your players, and I get that he's an upcoming unrestricted free agent. So that all but basically said, yeah, yeah, Justin Schultz isn't gonna come back. So I'm just gonna kick him under the bus there. And you know, Schultz, he's probably sitting there like, well, thanks from the Hall of Famer, just <laughs> kicking me out the door it's right after an exit like that. So it seems like Justin Schultz, as I said on that episode that you probably listened, like a Rivadarci bud. It's it. <laughs> You were great in 2017. He's the reason that they won the cup in 2017. But ever since his ankle unfortunately snapped in Montreal at the early 2018 season, he just hasn't been the same player. And and you can tell that. And it kind of all culminated in that series where he was out there for power play one. He was out there for the extra attacker for some reason. And it just wasn't going well. He looked like a baby deer on ice skates at some points with the puck. So it... He's definitely not going to be back for the Penguins. And Johnson seems like he will be. And it's all going to be about filling that role next to Johnson. Who can we put with him that will make him a little bit more competent? I don't know if he's going to be here next year. Um, Most likely will be. I would assume so. I think what I was going for never saying, I don't know, as in we don't know exactly what's going to happen at all. And But it is looking like he's going to stay. And Berlancy covered a lot of it. Um, But we did, I mean, adding a defenseman in, we did just sign... Um, what's his name from Arizona State? So oh, I'll pull it up real quick. Yeah, I just can't remember his name. He's from Pennsylvania too, I think. So kind of a local kid that you know is looking forward to play with this organization and wants to win now, which is what the Penguins want to do. And if you know, if, I'm not saying he's gonna be the one that is immediately playing in that's that third line uh, defensive spot with Johnson in the NHL, but he's a guy that can come into the system, learn it, and grow more. Because we have, you know, a couple of good defensemen that um, should be around for a couple of years that are younger and, you know, have experience and are going to be gaining experience. So our defensive core is lacking right now, but you know, in a year or two, I hope it's able to, you know, grow. And even if Johnson is still part of it, I could live with it if everyone else around him is playing out of their minds and can kind of make up for it. Yeah, and that player was Josh Maniscalco. I mean, he he's signed from Arizona State, which is an up-and-coming college hockey program, and it's somebody that is an offensive defenseman and is somebody that can really move the puck well on the back end. And you mentioned it. He's probably not going to be with the Penguins next season. That's probably going to be P.O. Joseph that I think mm-hmm. steps into that role next to Jack Johnson. Hopefully he gets well. But, I mean, Maniscalco also went to uh, Shattuck St. Mary's, so there's the connection Johnson and Maniscalco, <laughs> all you need to do right there. Those two and Crosby, you could have the St. Mary's line and then just, you know, whoever else you put on there. But, you know, five on threes, I think that's the magic number. Austin Lemieux also, Mario's son played at ASU. I don't know if he still does, but he definitely did. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've seen Austin play. He's not the greatest. No, but it's another connection. <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys about Chris Letang. I mean, I, I watched the, the Pittsburgh-Montreal series pretty closely, and it, it just seemed like he doesn't really have his game anymore. I'm curious if, if you guys see it the same way and if you think he's going to be able to return to form to carry the blue line like he has previously. I think he can. I mean, for the near future, I believe Chris Letang is still a very good solid number one defenseman um but i also think he's prone to just falling off a cliff skill wise it may be a year or two down the road and hopefully three or four but just the way he plays and the amount of injuries he's taken i just don't see it i don't see him fading you know gracefully i think it's just going to be a hard drop off and not a hard drop off enough to, to take him out of a lineup 
but it's going to be a quick turn of from a first line defenseman to a to a third line guy who's you know not taking as many minutes as he has in his career. And I, he struggled in that Montreal series mainly because Brian Dumoulin, his defensive partner, struggled as well. I mean, Dumoulin is usually the top defensive defenseman on the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he was making mistakes that he usually never makes. So I feel like a lot of the mistakes that Latang was making was because he was forced to be that defensive defenseman. He wasn't able to really play freely as he usually has during his career. And as far as the rest of the season goes, I thought he played one of his probably better seasons that he's had over the past couple of years, certainly one of the most healthy seasons that he's had in the past couple of years. But that's something that Horwat said, who knows what the injury history and health history that he has had. When he drops off, it's going to be a quick drop off. Luckily, it seems like the organization feels like they found his replacement in John Marino. So I think the way they, they're going to play it is they're going to basically have Latang in that one spot until he hits that drop-off. And then right when that happens, hopefully Marino can continue to progress, whereas he can just take over that spot whenever that it happens to be, whether it's next season or if it's a couple seasons down the road. Uh, looking up front, I mean, Gensel and Zucker, they're good skating offensive wingers. But uh, aside from those two guys, you know, I mean, Brian Russ kind of came out of nowhere this year, was a, a, over a point per game, just barely led the team in goals. But uh, who else is maybe on the way that can help, uh, you know, carry the offensive load as uh, Ovechkin and, and Malkin start to get a little bit older? Uh, Berlansky, I'll start with you. I mean, first of all, don't think I'm just going to let you go with Colin Malkin Ovechkin. I'm quite offended. And as a Caps fan, I would figure you are Did I call him Ovechkin? Too. Yeah, you did. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> got to leave that in. That's beautiful. She's like, hey, they're, they're synonymous. I mean, yeah, I mean, two Russians, probably two of the greatest of all time. I get that, but I, I put Datsuk above Malkin. Ooh. But still, uh, to take Fedorov, but oh, that's, okay. uh, that's fair too. It's hard. There's a yeah, lot of names, that, but that's the, that's the old guy on the podcast, though. Fedorov, <laughs> but <Tretiak. laughs> Oh, god. But to answer your question uh, about those guys, I mean, you look at the top six, you mentioned five guys up there that are probably going to be up there. Until they're not on the team anymore. There's, those are five guys that are definitely top six wingers and forwards in this league. The question's always going to be who's going to play with Sidney Crosby on the right side because Gensel seems to be stapled to his left. And if it's not Gensel, it's going to be Zucker. So it's a matter of who's going to play on the right. And we've had Sherry was there this, this postseason. That was a failed experiment bringing him back. We've had Dom Simone up there who's coming off of shoulder surgery and he's going to be might be ready for the beginning of the season. It's a thing of there's a lot of people that can do it, but there's only a, a bunch of a handful of people that should do it. I think Jared McCann, who's somebody that we pinned as the third line center this postseason, he's somebody that would probably benefit more from being on the wing and maybe on Crosby's wing. He's played well in the limited minutes he's got up there. And the only other answer I feel like in this organization right now is last year's first first round pick, and that's Sam Poulin. Who knows if he's going to be ready by next season, but I feel like him on a line with Crosby and Gensel could be something that really bodes well for the Penguins moving forward and is really going to help them, especially in a metropolitan division where scoring is going to even more so now with the addition of Lafreniere coming to New York, it's going to be even more so a factor. So I feel like if it's not Poulin at the beginning of the season, if it's not McCann, they're going to need to address that somewhere else in in the either UFAs or via trade. It doesn't have to be somebody like Zucker. It doesn't have to be somebody like Gensel. It might need to be somebody that's a little bit bigger and can bang bodies and can open things up for Sid. But if it's going to be in the organization, it's going to be either Poulin or it's going to be McCann, in my opinion. 
I mean, you you mentioned all the names right there. It's those are all the guys that'll probably be in the top six next year. Maybe not so much Poolland as he'll probably get you know Wilkesbury starting time and then seeing where it goes from there. But you know, other than Poolland, the uh, the only other big name, huge name, I would say, not huge, but like noticeable name that we have in our minor system right now, forward wise, is Nathan Lagare, who also hasn't played any in uh, the system yet, but is probably coming over this off season and plays a lot like Sam Poolin, I guess just was just a later round pick that um, really surprised a lot of people in the preseason games uh, last season. And I expect him to be coming up relatively soon as well. So we, we, we touched on it just a, a little bit earlier, but I'm, I'm curious when, when you think about Crosby and you think about Malkin, I mean, uh, when do you think we're going to start to see them start to re- progress a little bit? I mean, father time, <laughs> you know, is, is a, a hundred to know. So uh, obviously they're, they're, they're going to regress eventually. But I mean, when I watch Crosby close, it's just he's still an absolute monster. And it seems like he's still getting better along the wall and he's still actually improving his game. So, I mean, when, when you guys are looking at, at those two players, what, when do you think we're, we're going to start to see them start to regress? That's so hard to answer because you know everyone's going to regress at some point. It's just hard to pinpoint when and where. Um, Crosby, like you said, yeah, it does seem like he's getting better with age. Crosby has mentioned that he feels that sometimes he gets slower. Like the the game around him is getting so much faster and he has to just try and keep up, which he's obviously been able to do. Um, so I could see Crosby being a very skilled point-per-game player, you know, fairly close until the end of his career, if not, you know, doing it the entire time. Um, Malkin might have a harder drop-off because um, it was also recently put out that uh, he has an elbow issue that is not going to get resolved until he retires because it would take about a year or so or two of uh, rehab for it. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah, it's essentially what it's an the ULC or UCL or something on, on his elbow, it, it, it's what pitchers get for Tommy John in the MLB. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So he's able just to have minor procedures every here and there. He just had one uh, last week. Um, so he's able to put it off, you know, put off the big major surgery until um, need be when he has the time to just, you know, not do anything for a year. And because pitching and taking a slab shot are too different motions of the of the arm that's how he's able to put it off basically is that he's able just to work around this i forget what it is exactly you you mentioned it but um, it's a pretty big procedure to get that like i said would put him on the shelf for a fairly long time so if that starts affecting him I, you know whenever that story came out i, I t- told brilliance that now this is going to probably probably become a question for the rest of his career anytime he's slumping we're going to ask is it his elbow flaring up yeah, and you look at what with Crosby too this year, even at the beginning of the season, whenever he had that core muscle injury, that was in training camp. And then he looked around and said, oh, Gino's going to be out. Oh, Brian Russ is going to be out. Oh, Doomlin might be out. And he said, you know what? <laughs> I'll just play through it. And they even mentioned it whenever he actually finally got it done. The doctors looked at him and were like, what do you mean you're going to play? It's a it's a sports hernia <laughs> and he's like oh well you know everybody else is injured and of course that's that's what Sidney Crosby does and he goes out and puts up 17 points in 17 games and then Malkin comes back and he's like okay 
something happens in the Blackhawks game. He's like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. Now I'm going to have the surgery now that Malkin's back. And it's like, what kind of freak does that? What kind of freak's just like, well, I'm injured, but everybody else is injured. So I'll just go out and put out a point per game. And then when they come back, then I'll opt for in-season surgery for the first time in my career. That That's fine. And it's like so nonchalantly did he put off an injury that has also kept Nick Bugstad, who had the same injury, out for the entire season. <laughs> so it's something that I feel like Crosby has dealt with so many injuries, but the way that he trains and the way that he takes care of his body, he's going to be able to, like Horwat said, he's going to be able to push that career further and further down the road and still be productive. Whereas Malkin, he's had injuries, that's for sure. But he's also somebody that, not that he doesn't take care of his body, but compared to Sidney Crosby, his body is a little bit more frail in the sense that he can get broken easier. And now, of course, with the elbow thing, the fact that he's been dealing with it since 2016, it's going to be interesting, especially considering the fact his contract's up in two years and a lot of people pinpoint him as somebody else who, like Pavel Dadsuk, is going to want to go and finish off his career in Russia. Yeah, I think Sid, even at 85%, is still top 10 in the league with all the talent that's out there. He just, uh, he's a generational talent man we've had i mean if what's it been 15 years now that we've had the chance to watch him so you're right he's got that kind of killer instinct that uh if he just decides to put the team on his back he will uh which kind of leads me into my next point because he's not going to be able to do that forever and i know for uh, the penguins they've had two first rounders in the last five years one of those was kasperi kapanen who was traded to toronto um you know the team was in win now mode they got two cups so nobody's going to complain about a lack of of uh you know higher end draft picks but you know as you mentioned before the metro is going to get better with lafreniere carolina looks like they're on the upswing philly is uh they look like they might be a, a bit of a threat coming up uh who else is in the system to help this uh, penguins team yeah i think we mentioned sam sam Poole and nathan lagare already beyond that pio joseph um College kids that, you know, were in the midst of signing and have signed in the recent history. You know, past that, it really is kind of a crapshoot, but at the same time, they're names that we've recognized and seen in the system for a while that um, at least I think can be pretty decent. They're, it's going to be hard to make top sixers out of our minor league system now, but there's definitely a couple guys that might be able to develop that under that trend i know casper bjorkquist has been around for a while uh, and sam militic is a guy that um which i found quite shocking was he was in the the phases of camp uh come to restart so he's involved in the penguins still he's up this year for a contract but um i think it'd be interesting if he's a guy that is able to come up so you know beyond lagare pool and pio joseph it it's kind of a big question mark but it's something that. Um, it might be a different situation to think about if some of these guys can develop past what we are seeing, at least. And the good thing for them is some of their better players now are starting to be at a younger age. You look at somebody like Jake Gensel, who's only 25 years old. It seems like a lot of people think that he's going to be the next guy that takes over the team once Crosby and Malkin are gone. But you also look at a player like Brian Rust around the same age range. If they can bring back Jared McCann, he's even younger. And and Horat mentioned it best there with P.O. Joseph, Sam Poulin, Nathan Legare. They're expecting them to be the next wave of young players similar to what happened in 2016 that helped them get to the cup final. But also you have to think about the fact that they have the first round pick this year. <laughs> now that 
is another can of worms. I feel like whoever they pick this year, my personal opinion, is not going to be somebody that's going to be able to help them until two, maybe three seasons down in the future because of where they're picking and who I believe they'll pick. But like he said, you have somebody like Casper Bjorkvist who could be kind of a second-tier prospect, not that top tier as those first three that we mentioned, or or a Philip Hollander as well, somebody like that. But it is definitely something that they're going to have to pay a little bit of a price for winning those two Stanley Cups, and we're seeing it now with the depletion of the farm system. Do you think the team's going to be kind of doing a retool and just trying to get as many picks as they can in the, in the next couple of years to help speed up that process, or is it just going to be kind of status quo as long as Sid and Gino want to compete for a cup we're not going to be mortgaging the future uh, to win now that's pretty much it I don't see us not not tanking but I don't see us going into a rebuilding phase until at least Crosby says so he's a guy that will want to win no matter what so until he's not driving the bus anymore you know we're not going to be retooling or rebuilding in any way probably you know Ryan you said there that last thing you said right there. You said mortgaging the future to win now. I don't know if you've been like reading general manager Jim Rutherford's mind, but that's his favorite quote. <laughs> he says, I am willing to do that. I will definitely do that because when he was brought in, that's what he was told to do by Mario Lemieux and Ron Burkle, the owners. They said, hey, listen, we have Crosby and Malkin for at that point. They said probably about eight to ten more years, and this was in 2015, five years ago, and – He said, okay, so what am I to do? And they said, well, you're going to, until both of those two are basically on their rocking chairs in the old folks' home, you're going to mortgage the future to win now. And that's what he's been doing for five years. And that's what I feel like Jim Rutherford is going to continue to do. Now you see him pulling back just a little bit, had the first rounder last year, going to have the first rounder this year. Of course, not going to have it next year because that's the price you pay whenever you get somebody like Jason Zucker. But it seems like he's going to continue to push that envelope until it bursts. Well, guys, I think that's a perfect place to end it, man. And Nick and Nick, thanks so much for coming on the show, guys. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you? Yeah, well, thank you for having us on. I don't. I'll let Horwat plug his social after this, but I mean, you can follow me at Nick underscore Berlansky. It's hard to spell, but if you follow us <laughs> at Iceberg Podcast, all you have to do is go into our description, and it's right there. There's in my last name. There's really only one vowel, so it makes it very difficult to spell. But <laughs> Follow us at Iceberg Podcast. We have an episode coming out uh, this coming Monday that has Jesse Marshall of The Athletic Pittsburgh. It's a really good uh, show. Tune into that. And, of course, thank you guys again for having us on. It was was a blast talking. Yeah, guys, thanks for having us on. Um, Like Bradley said, follow our socials um, for The Iceberg Podcast. And you can find me at NickHorwatt41 on Twitter. And, you know, sucks that the Penguins are out of it. You know? Right, it sucks that the caps are out of it now, and um, not all that much. Hey, well, I think we can both agree that if the Flyers win the friggin' cup, <sighs> there's, I mean, that's the one thing that I think our fan bases can be united about is uh, fuck the Flyers. Absolutely, that's that's yeah. about it. If that happens, we'll have to come back on and all cry <laughs> oh, together. Yeah. What's up, guys? Ryan here, uh, just for a quick post post mortem of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So. Uh, we recorded that interview with Nick and Nick uh, prior to the news that Kasperi Kapanen had been acquired by the Penguins from the Toronto Maple Leafs. And so uh, I just wanted to pop on here and uh, add a couple of things to this because one of the things that Nick and Nick talked about was the first round pick that the Penguins had and how they were excited and uh, you know what the 
what this pick might represent, you know, who might they get at 15th overall? Well, they traded it and, uh, <laughs> you know, they get Kasperi Kapanen, which might be a nice selection in a regular draft, but the Penguins drafted Kapanen back in 2014 anyway, so they kind of know what he is all about. Uh, we saw with the Toronto Maple Leafs a 20-goal season, then we also saw him regress a little bit. I wanted to uh, to just kind of tackle this from both sides. First of all, starting in uh, Toronto, this is a pure cap move. Casperi uh, Kapanen makes $3.2 million until 2021-2022. So obviously Kyle Dubas, who's been pretty open about the fact he'd love to, to bring in some grit onto this Leafs team. He is uh, clearing some space, and, and who knows who he's going to make a run at. Um Aside from that, I mean, the Leafs, they give up Jesper Lindgren and Pontus Aberg or Aberg to Pittsburgh. Um, the kind of minor league guys, Aberg has been up and down his whole uh, pro hockey career in North America. Uh, it's purely a cap move. The nice thing for them, they get that first rounder. Uh, if you don't know, they gave up their four, or, sorry, they gave up their first rounder last offseason in the Patrick Marlowe trade to Carolina. So they dropped from 13th overall to 15th overall not a bad uh not a bad drop for them i mean they give up they get rid of uh, a bad contract in patrick marlowe but they also uh reacquire a first rounder in exchange for kasperi kapanen there's a plan here with kyle dubas who really knows what it is uh, who knows if it will succeed but bottom line is he's making some moves now um from the pittsburgh side this is more interesting to me because kasperi kapanen is kind of a, a you know, he's a good middle six guy. He's never going to be a first line winger in the NHL. Uh, he did have the 20 goal season, like I said, in the last uh, last season, uh, two years ago. And so it'll be interesting to see how he performs in Pittsburgh because it seemed like he almost took his foot off the gas a little bit. He was a healthy scratch at some point this uh, season uh, prior to a game against Ottawa. That was because he slept in. And there was a comment made about how he needs to figure out his, uh, or there needs to be some quote unquote internal accountability in Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, if you are familiar with some of the other stuff that uh, he was uh, involved in off the ice a few years back, uh, you kind of know what I'm talking about. A lot of distractions in Toronto, uh, to not necessarily quote Mike Milbury. A lot of distractions when you're a young millionaire hockey player playing in a big market. This is a, a guy that has a lot to prove, I think. Obviously, Pittsburgh, they did draft him in 2014. I'm sure they'd love to see him kind of return to that 20-0 score, bring in some depth. I mean, right now along the wings, Jason Zucker and Jake Gensel are obviously the two big names. Jared McCann, there's still maybe some potential there. But again, he was drafted in the same draft as Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, Penguins also gave up Philip Hallander, who uh, I didn't know too much about, but he is considered to be a top three prospect in the, the uh, Penguins system. So they give up quite a bit to go along with that first rounder in exchange for a roster player. But then Evan Rodriguez is also a roster player, and uh, he's a, a pending RFA as well. Uh, David Warsawski, who's a kind of a veteran AHL guy, he's also involved in this deal. So for Pittsburgh, it seems like kind of similar to what Nick and Nick had talked about. Rutherford wants to see this team still play to win. They're mortgaging the future a little bit. They're giving up another first-round pick, as well as a top prospect, uh, according to what I've read about the Penguin system. What that means 
is that this team is still all in. Uh, Rutherford also, uh, after we recorded that interview with Nick and Nick, mentioned that they will be trading one of Jari or Murray. One of those guys is going to be moving on. It'll be interesting to see what the return is because uh, some of Rutherford's moves have been kind of head-scratchers. Trading Phil Kessel and getting Alex Galchenyuk back, for instance, was a head-scratcher. He then flipped Galchenyuk for Jason Zucker, so he probably wins that trade. The fact is, Pittsburgh is obviously in that win-now mode still because they've got two, I mean, you know, one generational talent and another a franchise talent up the middle. And uh, if this team still wants to play a competitive style and, and make a run for a cup, they're going to do that. And they're going to do that on the backs of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. The Metro division, as we know, has gotten tougher. New York, in the last two drafts, they're, they're drafting uh, first overall. They're going to get Lafreniere, who's a, you know kind of a franchise-level winger, as well as they got Capococco second overall in 2019. Columbus, the Islanders, uh, Philadelphia, I mean, those are all teams that are looking like they're trending up. Washington, don't get me started on the Capitals, but... Uh, for all we know, after Todd Reardon got fired, maybe they hire a coach that can pull them back into this. The only team in the Metro not really looking like they're doing much is the New Jersey Devils. Pittsburgh, they must think that they're still in a position to win and to be competitive. That's the only reason that I see them making these types of moves. And uh, keep an eye on the Penguins because I don't think that their offseason is done at all. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks again to the boys for the Iceberg Podcast for coming on. From Ryan and Brandon, we'll catch you next time on the Hockey Minute. We'd like to take a second to thank you, the listener, for joining us. And a big thanks goes to our writers and production team, Jules, Mark, and Matt. We couldn't do this without you. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at the Hockey Minute, as well as leaving voicemails on our anchor page, at Hockey Minute. And always make sure to subscribe to whichever platform you listen to your podcast. That's going to do it for us. This is Brandon and Ryan. We'll talk to you next time on the Hockey Minute. Am I back now? (laughs) Oh, let me rag the puck for like four minutes and then you chump back in. Thanks, bud.